Blog Talk Radio. Billy Jones, author of the Everyday Folks book series, as well, author of Everyday Folk Radio, sit here on Blog Talk Radio. Today is August 21st, 2016, and I hope you are doing well. I thank you continuously for listening. We got to all the exciting shows that we have provided for you for almost the entire year here on Everyday Folks Radio. If anytime you'd like to speak to me or any of my guests during this live broadcast, you may do so by calling 347-539-5372. Again, that's 347-539-5372. And if you'd like to email your questions, comments, or requests, you may do so anytime during this segment as well. Folks with an S, listen at gmail.com. And you can tune in to other exciting programs that we have provided or scheduled to appear here everyday folk radio on my author page at billypauljones.com. That's Billy with the Y, pauljones.com. There's so much happening right here in, in the everyday folk family. I'd like to share how I've been working so well to this show. I have to send a special shout to my dear colleague, Anike S., who is the host to passion. Her show has truly taken off, and for the past four months, she has been working diligently to explore the exciting topic of passion. What makes people passionate about the things they do, who they are, and where they're going. And I'd like to congratulate her on her continued success. She is nearing the 10th episode mark of her segment. This month, uh, the month of August, actually, has been a really interesting topic. And just yesterday, an exciting show with Narissa Street, who is a story expert and power speaker, and she talks about how to bring your story to light and how to bring stories into marketing and, and marketing and branding of, of businesses and, and any other endeavor that you may have. So the segments that we are doing here, we hope that they inspire you, they are not informative, if not above all, will entertain you. However, I must say that I'm very privileged to have today's guest with me today. If you haven't had a chance to read the bio that I posted about this extraordinary fellow, now you're going to get a chance to hear it live. Caesar is a former road warrior when gas was 99 cents a gallon who drove through all 50 states in a one-year road trip for the Travel Channel Television Network. A type 2 diabetic, Caesar decided to, to thorough hike the 216-mile Appalachian track trail in 308 days and through all four seasons. Amazing. Now addicted to long-distance walking, he has begun to fir- his first leg 28,000-mile journey to the World War for Diabetes as he attempts to circum- cir- circumnavigate the globe on foot. Filmmaker writer with more than a dozen nights to his resume. Caesar also teaches environmental education at Nature's Classroom, and it's the lead tour manager for educational field trips. He's an Everglades historian, promotes cons- conservation and the love of the nature of, his, of this natural wonder for school groups, friends and families through the park. 
far more than an age warrior under, the Ferris appears on the edge of two worlds, and this is important. As an observer of modern-day life, a believer of the time or clock to a simpler time, he is at the helm of a project that educates, entertains, and inform people about a new approach of living, a balanced, and a purposeful life. I also say I am proud to call him my brother. I have known him for a good 20 years, and I ask brother not only in the spiritual sense, but even most importantly in our fraternal sense. He is a man of the Omicron Delta. And Caesar, it is a pleasure to have you here today on Everyday Folks. How are they? I am great. So, so happy to be on your show, Billy. And uh, whew, talk about turning back the clock just a couple of minutes ago, just getting here. I was I was really turning back the clock because I was at the mercy of an eight-year-old kid on a on the back of a quad. This is a uh, not any normal kid, uh, Jackson Moling, uh, Robert of Robert is Here's grandson, literally got me to this interview uh, through the back roads of South Dade. I had no idea how hairy and interesting it was, but talk about turning over not just you know into time, but but my trust into an eight-year-old, which. Let's face it, not many eight-year-olds in the back of quads or, or driving quads. I wasn't driving the quad. So it's, it's, it's great to be here, and thank you for that great introduction. You're very welcome. And I'd like to share with you what we do in every folks. We explore the extraordinary contributions of individuals, some individuals who may not ever have a chance to be on the covers of magazines or in tabloids of other types or the media, folks who get a chance, who deserve a chance to be recognized. But we also we also recognize who are just like yourself because you seem to seem towards the other side where you've done so much work that has garnered national recognition, if not attention. And so this moment, I salute you for your time. So see, we're not well, known each other for a time. I've seen, just like you <laughs> see in the factory, in terms of where I'm going, where I'm coming, and where I think I'm going. <laughs> but I've also seen incredible evolution in terms of the incredible work that you're doing. So the first question I have to ask you is, is one that is the most important. What makes Caesar tick? How do you manage all of these faculties of interest? Well, I think that it really begins with how quickly in my life, thanks to my dear parents, and really subsequently later my, my siblings have uh, – pushed me to be exposed to so much. I mean, my parents started me off on a crazy road trip they did when I was just one. And, I, and you know, any one-year-old, let's face it, is not going to be, you know, taking in everything. But there must have been by osmosis going up all the way to New York City, but they stopped in D.C., went to the Smithsonian. I have photos of me on the back of paleontological, you know, whatever, animals and stone and you know, I guess museums were a big angle. And growing up in my house, it was always National Geographics. And so that tends to really already push what you think is normal, you know. And, and, and that's a great thing for kids. I mean, my sister in just a couple of days is going to have her first child. And for anybody that has a young kid, just get them to be exposed to something bigger and even global or just interesting. For example, you know, Jackson Moling driving me through the woods of South Dade on a quad. I mean, these are things that normally don't get thrust upon young minds and young eyes, but they work. And I think with me, it's always been, wow, I've, I've been exposed so much. So 
now interesting me, I, I don't get just interested in the the small things. I, I, I tend to really need more um, exposure to, to more and interesting things. I love to know how things work. Um, so I think that begins when, when, when I'm little. And honestly, Billy, it's kind of uh, confounding as I was preparing for this interview. I don't know where to start. I, I, I used to say to people who said, wow, you have an interesting life. And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm kind of just doing my thing. I'm just curious. Uh, but I do have to admit that maybe I do uh, push the boundaries and go after things that are kind of outrageously cool <laughs> or interesting. Got it. Now I have a question just for a sound check. Can you hear me well? I can hear you well. You're breaking up a little bit, but I can hear you well. Okay. So I'm getting some feedback from several of my listeners who were informing me at this time that perhaps they're, we're, my voice is going in and out. So if at any time you can't hear me, don't be afraid to okay. tell, or tell me. Yeah, I can. I can. Your your voice is going out a little bit, but uh, I can listen and, and figure out what you're asking me. Uh, and maybe our re, our listeners will let me know if I'm coming in clear. <laughs> you're coming in just fine, just fine. Okay, Caesar. thank you. Yeah, you're so broken up a little bit. Okay, I got it. So Caesar, who influences you to succeed? Wow. Um, I've been thinking about that. I do have some some key people that over the years, one of which is uh, my fifth grade teacher. And a lot of people uh, have these stories where, you know, my fifth grade teacher, Miss whatever, and in this case, it's Miss Collard. And it's not just Miss Collard in terms of, uh, you know, way back in time, Miss Collard. It, it, I still am in touch, thanks to Facebook. I'm still in touch with my fifth grade teacher. And she had a way of telling a story and she would dramatically pause and look you in the eye. And it was just mesmerizing. And I think storytelling is at the heart of everything I do. I'm always looking at almost as if how the soundbite would uh, thrust through uh, Miss Collard's lips and out to our ears. And if it were not for Miss Collard, I don't think I'd have the real South Florida gene of love of, of appreciation um, to the point where we can get into later, but I'm about to launch a university called the University of South Florida Appreciation. But Miss Collard, uh, you know, I can't say enough. You know, your teachers really can influence. And if you have some good teachers, watch out. You could literally be set for life on your curiosity. But her stories. Years. And one of the most obvious is your work with the Travel Channel and your hike across the nation. Can we chat about, let's, let's chat a little bit about that. How did you get started yeah. with that? What inspired well, you? Well, you have to start with, I mean, I'll tell you what inspired me. I used to be so enamored by South Florida and Miami that I felt that I could never really leave. And every time I left, I'd come back on a week or two-week trip, and I'd be inundated with messages and and. And, and, you know, people wanted, you know, where were you? And, and so I, I kind of hated to leave. And I kind of became what I call uh, a stick in the mud for even leaving this region. But then I got married. Now, I'm divorced, so, you know, it's, it's been a journey. But when I got married, my uh, then wife, Maud Dillingham, looked at me and said, listen, if we get married, we got to get the hell out of town. And so I <laughs> countered that 
with just a, a bluff, really. I said, look, if you want to get out of town, why don't we just go on a 50-state road trip? Now, I was totally, totally joking. She turned back, called my bluff, and said, that's exactly what I've always wanted to do. And all of a sudden now, I have this this promise to keep and, 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 and go through. And so we began to plan. Uh, as a good friend of mine, Richard Sassman in Maine, said uh, in those days when uh, Maud would dream it, I would blow it way out of proportion. So I couldn't just take a road trip. I took a mammoth road trip, which involved several different companies and, and, and FIU. It basically turned into motoring into the millennium. And it became a project to, to take the pulse of America during 1999, which, let's face it, I'm not going to make it to the next 99 of anything. You know, we just don't live that long. Um, and so it was a fascinating time to collect. And at FIU now, there's over 44 boxes of material that actually have things about America, what America was thinking about, dreaming about, etc. So a researcher, instead of going to all 50 states and you can just go to FIU, pull out my boxes, and we have an amazing collection. With that said, what happened was when I left, um, I basically tried to get rid of all my things, raise a little bit of gas money. Luckily, gas was only 99 cents back then. But mm-hmm. when I left and came back, I realized, Billy, holy moly, entire year on the road and <laughs> only needing what was in the car. So when I came back to the little stuff that I thought was downgraded or downsized, I looked around and I said, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I was already accustomed <laughs> to bringing it down. And just so you know, during the road trip, uh, we got contacted by the Travel Channel, and between our footage and them intensively filming us in several states, we put in a, a national documentary that was on the Travel Channel called American Journey, then I got diabetes, and then I had to change my life from sedentary driving and sedentary living to getting out there. And when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, Billy, imagine what I thought was downsizing just to the car then becomes on my back, and I get back after a year and 23 days walking 2,000 miles to the little stuff that I left in the car. I said, well, what do I need all this for? I just spent <laughs> a, a year in the woods with just the backpack. So it kind of wow. gets exacerbated. And so light living, um, though I'm not completely away from it fully, I do have my, my weaknesses, paper and books. I'm down to paper and books. I don't have 3D objects per se, although I do have a small boat problem, but that's a canoe problem. But uh, I own nine of those. But generally the mobility factor and being a nomad has really um, freed me and that's a hard one to get back to the real world. I, I mean, I I have to say I don't really – I kind of live in a la-la land, a parallel universe where I'm kind of always chasing all these stories, all these amazing subjects. And so – but the, the road trip was the beginning, really. If South Florida was like the real beginning, when I left South Florida, I really became a different person. And, uh, you know, it's almost – you know, it's like creating a monster, and um, and I've never really stopped, um, and it's hard to stop because my body is now accustomed. Imagine on the road trip moving every day, on the hike moving every day, um, and now I have jobs that move me every three to four days. So I have an internal clock where after three or four days in one place, my body's like, hey, what are you, what are you doing here? What are you, <laughs> why are we still here? 
So, you know, um, Caesar, I'll pause. I know there's a lot, but that's the general gist. As you're speaking, I'm thinking of folks such as inmates, those who get to return after their reformation period in prison. How do they cope? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting thinking, and I'm not saying what you created was your own internal, you know, your personalized prison, but it's a fascinating how much we are so used to and how those, 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 those items, these possessions do define us. And you were able to surrender all of that in order to explore your truth, which I think is so admirable. Yeah, it was not easy. I mean, I, I was the president of the Miami Memorabilia Collectors Club, and I had the worst type of collection, which was I collected everything. And as president, we had a tradition. People would come with me with their doubles or triples or their postcards or extra things, and they would give them to me. So I, I had stuff in four locations. I'm not proud of that as I'm now kind of a reform pack rat, although I do have caches. A lot of my friends will, will laugh. I have, have spots of this and that around the country that I kind of go back to. But, um, but I had a lot of stuff, and getting rid of it was not easy. Um, it helped that some of my greatest friends and collectors came and bought a lot of the things that they gave me. But, um, but it's tricky because it's also interwined into the kind of journey that we take in this country, particularly of how we see our self, self-worth um, yep. in things. And, uh, and I still love things, by the way. I, I actually love occasionally, very intermittently, maybe once or twice, a year if I'm lucky, people call me and they ask me to help them downsize. It's kind of like my fourth job is I help people downsize uh, because they, I, I'm not con- connected to those objects. I can help them. But it doesn't mean I still don't love those objects, Billy. I love to hold them. I, I'm in thrift stores. This week I went to four thrift stores. I love being around stuff and still looking at people. I kind of marvel when I walk into a traditional home and I'm like, wow. And I do, I, I, stuff is still uh, intriguing to me, you know. Um, uh, and I still have, like I said, I'm down to paper and books with a, a smidgen of other things, but I'm, I'm definitely, I don't own, own a couch, a bed, a car, a house. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, sometimes I, I really actually don't know uh, what type of life I'm living. Sometimes I'm confused and that's, that's understandable. There's people that are starting to make this journey. Uh, and I think we're all confused in all types of our lives. I don't think anybody yeah, totally figures it out. <laughs> but I have a lot of help from a lot of people who harbor this crazy Cuban along the way, this this curiosity Cuban. And, uh, and I'm able to think and be in places to write. Almost all the books that I write today are one of the most fascinating things I think about my life is that I, I, I'm fascinated with a life on the move. And writing mm-hmm. on the move and producing a book on the move or a documentary, almost all the last works that I've created in the last 10 years have definitely been without, you know, a steady home site per se. That does not mean I don't chill out at places, but um, it's definitely on the move, you know, and and, uh, and there's a long list of people that help me. So there there are a lot of people uh, who uh, who help me out. <laughs> Well, Caesar, I'm so I'm so proud of you, and don't even you, you just mentioned that even, we're still trying to figure it out. I tell you, here today at 42, I'm still trying to figure it out too. <laughs> at least we know where we're going. In the same regard, we script our lives to live life, so I do salute yeah. that there's this freedom that comes with your 
your your adventure side. Yeah, that's a good point to make, Billy. I I see it like this: when we are brought up in this country, in particular, or just in the modern day, we are up against a very tricky two-sided wall, basically a hallway, a hallway that says, if you go down this hallway, this is what's guaranteed. If you do this, this is what's going to be given to you, and it's a very safe way to journey. Um, right. I don't – I'm not in that – I'm not out of that hallway totally. I'm I, I'm kind of pop in and out. I find little doors on each side of the hallway, get out of the hallway, come back in it. I mean, I, I, I don't say that I'm a complete rebel outside of the spectrum of – I actually call it coming back into the matrix for – uh, basically bringing into what I like, what I need money-wise and otherwise and then stability-wise to go off and away from that hallway and do some of these things that I do. So it is, uh, it is um, we are definitely bombarded with a, a certain way to live your life. Now, I haven't completely drank that Kool-Aid. I sip at it every <laughs> now and then. I fight, I fight with it. I'd like to even be more rebel. There's, there's people that I know that are completely uh, my, I'm fans with it that really have bucked the system per se. Um, so I kind of am, I kind of like work with the system and I, I come in and out of it and I use it, but I'm not always in it. I'm definitely not, um, uh, bless my parents who shake their head all the time uh, about my future. I'm, I'm definitely not uh, on a, on a track that's, uh, it's got all the, the, the T's, you know, all the dots, dotted I's and cross T's. <laughs> I'm, I'm freestyling a lot. <laughs> well, when I grow up, I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> You're listening to the show today, listening to BJ, and I'm here with Cesar Becerra, filmmaker, writer, and historian. If you have questions for him or me, you may call us at 347-539-5372. Again, the call-in number is 347-539-5372. And Cesar, I must tell you, the inbox is pretty flooded, so we're going to get some of those questions now. For those of you who wow. still my questions, comments, or requests, our email address here is everydayfolkslisten.com. Again, that's everydayfolkslisten.com. Here's the first question. It's from Mike Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's the following. Okay. While you were growing up, when was it that you and your parents first discovered your interest? You say that one more time because it is a little bit choppy on on this end. No problem. He asked, "When you were growing up, when did you or your parents first discover your adventurous spirit?" Ah, okay. Well, that's pretty simple. Um, basically, I think it comes back to the day that my parents innocuously went and tried to dump something at the dump. All right, Billy, you know, you dump something in the dump, you take something from the house, tree clippings or trash, you put them in the back of the car, you go to the dump, what do you do? You dump it, right? And then you go back home. Right. Well, uh, I always liked to dig. I was like an archaeologist, and it wasn't just to grab cool stuff, but now I look back, and then it really was an adventure. I wanted to know why would people throw such cool stuff? What did this item do? How can I use that item on something else at home? And sure enough, I loaded up some extra wood and some stuff, and I built a table and a little clubhouse, basically. And 
I think that's really, you know, I mean, it's just, again, most kids, uh, I mean, I'm not saying most kids, because I think in the old days, there were a lot more kids that were at the dump. I wasn't alone. But I think that's where it starts. It's, it's, I just couldn't leave well enough alone. I couldn't enter a sphere and just leave it be. I had to interact with it. And that's the same today. I always want to, I mean, I, I just, I, I sometimes don't go into a thrift store if I'm too tight for time or if I'm going somewhere because I can't possibly just run quickly through that thrift store. I got to go slowly. I got to figure things out. I got to bump into cool things. I just, I just went to a thrift store yesterday. I found this great mm-hmm. book on the uh, 50 years at Publix. And I, I want to know, I, I got to look into it. I found a University of Miami uh, yearbook from 1970 and out it came wow. with me. I found some weird metal grading thing. I don't know what it was. It looked like it wasn't from your typical anything. It looked like it was a pioneer item. So again, I think it starts with that. I think it starts uh, there, but also Billy, it starts with, um, this is critical. My mother used to work about a block and a half from her house at Cypress Elementary. And we all, my, my brother Carlos, my sister Leslie, all went to Cypress. But I believe that they didn't do as much walking as when I was born. I think my mom went pretty much every day when I started mm-hmm. going to school. So I walked to and from the house, walked back and forth, walking back and forth. That walking would come later back to bite me into an intrinsic uh, love that I have for moving, for moving with all my own two feet. I'm even allergic to getting on a powerboat. I like canoes. I have nine canoes. I told you I have a small boat problem. I love powering myself on my own, uh, you know, muscle and, and on my own two feet. And so I think the adventurous spirit has to begin with the fact that I would leave my house, not go into any other technological advance like the the automobile and just move myself from one world to the next. And during that world, I would, I would look around, you would get a different view of our, our block and uh, on each house and, and who was on this corner. And we had like a boo Radley corner, by the way, we did have a house that was just like a serious house. And I never to this day walked in there and it, it haunts me. Like, why didn't I just go walk in there? But you know, that just shows you that um, adventure spirit can start with as little as just taking kid for a walk over and over again and that definitely had to play into it thank you so much here's another question from tina right here in my florida caesar she wants to know what is the role of historians she wants to know what now what is the role of historian today what is a the role of a historian today yes Perfect question, by the way. Interesting she should ask that. That's a cool question. It sounds like an easy question, but guess what? The historian of the old days used to go after things that were old. But the historian of today, a lot of the things I'm collecting, and certainly a great you know, example is when I did the 50-state road trip, I am now collecting things that I'm banking on for the future to be interesting and tell a story so it's a little bit of a role reversal being a historian today it's an excellent question i'm constantly saying huh is this item is this subject trend going to be important and i actually billy it's weird i kind of sometimes even close my eyes and and feel the history is this moment going to be something 
that we're going to laugh at because laughter is good. That means, shoot, things have changed. Is this going to be relevant, uh, a particular moment, a quote, uh, an object, a technologic? Man, we're living in the most change, fast-paced. It's, in, it's insane how quickly things are changing. So I'm, I'm actually – I mean, I love history. Don't get me wrong. I love looking back. But I'm definitely collecting for the future, definitely. So I think it is changed. The role of the historian now is to look back and forward. Caesar, you have many successes. What do you feel has been the greatest success? One more time, the last part, you, I couldn't hear the last part. No problem. What do, you, what do you feel has been your greatest success of all the things you've ah. accomplished? Wow. Um, I really believe that I was born to write, and I'm coming at writing later in my life. But now I'm hitting the stride where I'm hungry to tell stories, including stories that I'm not hired to even tell. So I'm, I'm voraciously living in this odd parallel universe that I have to tell certain stories. And there are some amazing stories out there, and some of them are so complicatedly complex and, and just detailed that it's exhausting and kind of sad to think, oh, my goodness, if I tackle this, it's going to take 20 years to research and find all the tidbits to this particular tale. But writing, I would say, honestly, is, um, is high up there um, and probably standing for – and, I, and I've, I've had this happen a, a few times. People uh, look to me for just a really a good, a good, a good example of how to live life differently, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm very proud of that. Um, it's not easy, by the way. Um, I don't, I don't, um, I don't have the firmest foundation financially, without a doubt. But man, do I live the life of a, a true millionaire in a way. And also, I have people and places and institutions and family and friends that support me in so many ways that together, uh, and I do want to make this clear, I, I live my life because of the sacrifice and the time issues that my parents never got to have. I had the luxury of creating the life I live. They did not That's have that luxury. Life. They got here and they had to produce. They had to you know, they had to do things, and, and they didn't have the luxury to wait around and say, well, I don't know, if I do this, I'm going to waste another year of this, and I can't get into this. Right. And I, I didn't have that problem. So all my successes clearly all come back to my parents um, really uh, giving us that luxury. And dare I say we've been spoiled. We definitely have been spoiled. It's not to say that I don't work hard, but I do feel guilty for the type of work I do. The other day I helped my dad – uh, dig a hole and do some stuff in the front of them and, and move some big heavy blocks, which I've always helped them with. But boy, let me tell you, I'm getting older and this stuff's getting harder. And I definitely <laughs> work hard in a different way. <laughs> I definitely work hard in a different way, um, but not in the same way as a lot of other people work. So I, I live a very privileged life. It, it's really ridiculous. So, so you've got another, another question for you. This from, from Craig, Craig from, from Atlanta, Atlanta Georgia. Georgia. Can you, you hear, hear me well? Yep. Do your, your parents, parents always support your, your personal and professional, professional interests? Or do they do have my parents, aspirations for you? 
Okay, do my parents support my personal and professional interests? Yes, <laughs> and I would say with a trepidatiously worried um, outlook sometimes, and I understand. I totally get it. Um, but, um, but yes, they do. I mean, uh, there was an instance not too long ago where a family member uh, told my father, uh, Caesar, what, what's, is Caesar, what's he gonna, is he ever going to settle down? And my father, which interestingly enough, came from many moons ago from a very, uh, and they still occasionally throw the, the practical debate into my field, but they used to be a lot, um, you know, this has got to change. You've got to kind of streamline. What are you going to do for the rest of your life type thing? But now uh, my father looked at her. I think he lowered his eyeglasses in a way to kind of look at her and say, are you kidding me? There's nothing stopping this guy, my son, and the way he lives his life. I just don't, I don't see it. I think my mother worries a little more than my dad. I think that might be the case. Um, but in no way, shape, or form have they ever uh, uh, – you know, stop me from going after anything. Um, case in point, interesting, the only time they did try, which was to circumvent me going into art school, uh, they said I had to get a little bit more practical. I was supposed to go, and I got into three art schools, but, you know, it's going to be very costly, and, and to them, not practical. The irony now as we laugh at it is if they'd let me go to art school, I'd probably be an accountant right now. Um, <laughs> but, but they didn't, and now I'm a hippie, a modern-day hippie, bohemian. Uh, <laughs> But I am I'm, I'm happy because the one fallback that I had, and it was really the only thing that I really knew, was my love of history. So I right. went to study history, and now I, you know, I make my living, really, if you will, in, in historical realms. And not only the living, I make my statement on the world, and and I'm very humbled when people call me out of the blue. I always get calls out of the blue, and it's just amazing to me. It's the, it's the ultimate wow moment that somebody is wanting my opinion on something or as a curiosity or something. And it's a double-edged sword, Billy, because I've seen so much uh, due to my nature of wanting to see it all that now very few things raise my eyebrow, but when they do, I personally say, holy moly, that's new. That has never before been seen. That's a particular photo or a story or a nugget of information that no one's ever had. And those are the right. ones that I'm really after. Uh, um, and and uh, I can drown you with examples, but those are the moments. But they, they support me. I know they're nervous about everything, but you know what? I, I kind of I look back and uh, they had far bigger challenges. And I have a um, – yeah, I, I think our opportunities we've been given are, are pretty epic. They, they have uh, – I think I don't know. I think I think I think I'm going to be fine. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I, I know you'll, you'll be fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> my from my mind has another question. question for you. Okay. On a scale, On a scale of, of one to ten, ten being the highest, highest. rate your, your happiness, happiness and explain it. My happiness is probably. A little off the chart, and it's probably to take a great line from uh, the mockumentary. Uh, this is Spinal Tap. Eleven. One. One more than ten. Eleven. 
That's, that's, that's one of my that's favorite really movies. But basically, I mean, I'm I'm pretty happy guy. I'm almost like ludicrously happy. And that sometimes blinds me from the realities both of my life and the world. But I am very positive. I have had m- moments at work at Nature's Classroom where someone will look at me and say, Caesar, do you ever get mad? Or do you ever get sad? And I'm of course it happens. But, but I don't know. I mean, I just um, – yeah, I'm a happy guy. I'm a happy guy. There are very few things that worry me. Uh, the biggest worry in my life is probably my my health. You know, I'm I'm, I'm healthy, but you know, I have a, a I have diabetes, and and that can get complicated. And I'm not always a a saint about it. And so um, that probably is my main main issue is that um, uh, you know taking care of myself as best as I can. But I tell you, Billy, the older I get, man, that willpower is harder and harder. And also I've been told that my body is just not the same. And that's just a, a reality for everybody getting older is Absolutely. that um, things aren't as, as uh, easily uh, reversible or, or, or keep yourself up the way I used to keep myself up in the past. You know, now I did just go out to the desert and did another 60 miles in 105 degree heat. And I felt great. Wow. Uh, the irony, uh, the irony about my diabetes, is I've never felt bad. It's a disease that you don't necessarily always feel it. In fact, I've never felt it. I can't think of the last time I, I, uh, I got sick. But, you know, that's one thing I worry about. But it's one of these things where that all doesn't matter. It's kind of a silent uh, journey that could catch up with you. And so the one thing I worry about is the diabetes catching up for me one day and say, hey, buddy, you got to slow down. Party's over. Time to chill out. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows? But I can't. I can't live my life through that, but it, it definitely worries right. me a little bit. Can you hear me well? But no, other than that, I'm happy. I mean, I'm spoiled, man. It's 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 ridiculous. In this one week alone, I've gone from I'm 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 juggling four or five different amazing projects that um, put a smile on my face. Like oh, I think I'm not doing much, that. but when I sit and Let's think about, about it, project. okay, sure, sure. Um, because the last one you were working on, if I may say, the last one you were working on was Robert Yes. Yes. Um, so got the and that book here out. Yeah. 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 And it's still one that keeps on uh, teaching me. Um, I I get, got the big lesson that really the Robert is here story is 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 still not over. I mean, you know, and no no place that's still alive and kicking is going to be completely over. So it's really, looking back, it's a, it's a snapshot until the moment I was published it. But um, it's a fascinating case in point. Today I've spent, you know, the whole day with the Moling family uh, running all over South Dade. I jumped in a, in a, um, in a pool, a rough, you know, uh, dug out uh, borrow pit, basically, uh, and I was swimming with the moling children and and uh, and the moling grandchildren in a place that could very well have uh, been easily in a Hollywood movie. Cue the alligator, you know that type thing. And yet, I'm still I'm still learning from them. But yeah, that project is now getting um, seen by a lot of eyeballs. And very soon, probably in a month, I'm gonna know whether I'm going to take that and, and tackle another story, which is really the fishing industry in the United States through the eyes of another amazing institution in Gloucester, Massachusetts, 
uh, called the Gloucester House Restaurant. So mm-hmm. I may be tackling a, a big subject soon. Again, writing is 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 epic, you know, in my life. But um, but that's one. And at this very same week, I'm putting the final touches on a press release for a film that my ex-wife and now are finally releasing on our Appalachian Trail hike. And so that has already been uh, received at two film festivals and two hiker conferences. So we're getting all that readied up. I'm five days from going out to Burning Man, which aside from being a great party and a great release and a great creative uh, charging of my creative juices is, is actually very integral in my life. This will be my eighth journey to Burning Man. And it, it's not just a party, not just play see big art. It's kind of mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, a place to, um, tackle some things about the future. You know, I mean, we, we have 11 principles that if the world were to take on, uh, we would not have any wars. There's a lot of sharing and a lot of helping out one another and a lot of sharing of resources and of, of, of leave no trace on a, on an epic scale that even the army had to study burning man, how they would bring 80,000 people to the desert and then leave not one thing behind. It's, it's wow. I'm very proud of, of my involvement there. Um, yeah, a lot of things happening, uh, and, and I could go on, but those are, those are a couple of projects. There's always a project. that People chuckle because I probably take on too many, but I have a mantra <laughs> that states, Billy, that done is good, and I take on projects, and I know I'm a perfectionist, but if I were to leave that as pure profession, uh, perfectionist, I'd never finish any. So I do finish a lot of projects. They are slow. I juggle a lot, mm-hmm. but eventually they end. They don't always end at 120% of what I can give it, but um, I'm that interested in that many things. So, um, so Caesar, there's always one time, a project. At one time, you were dressed up as Henry Flagler. Yeah, I still am, yeah. actually. I just talked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just left a meeting with the principal and the wonderful uh, STEM teacher, Patty Rodriguez, at Cypress Elementary, at my mom's old alma mater, my alma mater, and mm-hmm. they are ready to have Henry Flagler visit not just one or two classrooms, but I'm actually making seven presentations to visit the entire school. So I, I want to do it thoroughly now. I don't want to just hit a couple people. I told them that, listen, it's either the whole school or nothing. And so, yeah, I, I'm taking Henry Flagler on the road. I mean, I, I do it every year for Everglades National Park, but now I'm really, and I'm learning about Flagler. Late last night at 2 in the morning, I was still reading a Tequesta magazine, which is a very rare bird in the historical world, uh, printed by History Miami in the old days. I don't even think it's published anymore. I found another interesting article about Flagler. So you never end learning, but when I don his suit, I do feel like Henry. I, I get in the zone, um, and it's also for my own personal. I know I'm reaching kids and reaching the community, but when you are hooked to history so much for so many years, you almost have to inhabit a character to get a l- another wonderful history fix into your system. And so I think right. this is more for me than for the public. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny from Hollywood, Florida asked the following, Caesar. How did you catch the, he asked, how did you catch the attention of Travel Channel? That was pretty simple. We were driving in a 1979 Chevrolet Malibu Classic station wagon emblazed with an American flag. Um, FIU paid for the American flag motif. It's, a, it's, it's something called a wrap, 
like they wrapped the big buses, and so they paid upwards of up to six thousand dollars for that wrap. We were so loud on the road that everybody was writing us. We, we were very blessed that uh, sometimes we didn't even reach out for PR, although we did put out press releases. But sometimes news stations would just show up, and so we had almost every major newspaper and television all around the nation and. After a while, it just, you know, you couldn't ignore us. And they reached out and they said, wow, we have this current series called American Journey. And we generally chop it up and do a, two or three subjects per episode. But your, your trip's so epic and so in touch with our American Journey theme that we're just going to do a whole show. So they were so serious that they flew a crew out from Australia that spent about a week and a half with us that matched their footage and we can have with all of our footage from all 50 states. We we taped about 150 raw uh, minutes of uh, uh, hours, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. of footage. So together we created and crafted that show together. Um, and uh, that's how that's how we, you know, I'm, I am, I have to say, a, a, a kind of a born promoter. I, I think that today half the battle is how to promote yourself. Um, it is. And your projects, you know. And, and I used to, and I've toned down. I used to be a little more... Uh, a lot of things I do today are pretty quiet. Uh, this is a, a rare bird of a show for me to spew out everything, but now I'm very careful. You don't you don't really see or hear of me too too much anymore, as I used to in the past. But I do realize that the the past promotions I've done are still today having really important effects. Like for example, years ago I did the logging history research for the Big Cypress National Preserve, and still to this right. day. I get emails and calls that say, are you the guy that did the research long ago? I have this rare photo. I have this story. And honestly, Billy, it's amazing. I honestly fear that anytime you write a book or do a story, I'm telling you, it's not finished. I mean, a good case in point is Columbus or any other story you want to grab from the past. You know, you have one version and you give it another hundred years, you'll have a a new version. And you know, Caesar. Uh, the other, the other thing too. You were doing the. I remember you were doing the artwork for Art Basil, and there was the alligator that you had out yes. there. And you, I remember distinctly. I was still at Miami Dade College at the time, and you brought it out there, and it was a big talk, and it, the timing of it was perfect. Even the Freedom Tower went with it, with with the theme of the alligator as well. And to this that day, was a happy people still remember that the, the Freedom that. Tower had. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> But, you know, everyone still remembers you from, from the work you did in that. And that was, what, seven, six, at least five or six years ago. Yeah, it was. Um, and I want to be fair and say that that was a project that was with an artist and photographer named Lloyd Gordeski. I was basically the project manager. Um, and he went on and, and did a little bit more with that. But the basic background to that, the most important thing about that art was using the art to gather the attention of the media for two big reasons. It was the 30th anniversary of the listing of the alligator as an endangered species. Of course, it's no longer that way, but it was a way to tell everybody that we can't just sit idle just because we have millions of alligators and and now the system's healthy because we have a million alligators or more. There's like six, I think, they tell me. But but the point is, is that the system is still in chaos and still... Uh, very, very fragile. And so that piece was kind of a uh, a misdirection, if you will, like a, a magician <clears throat> does something and then you 
he, he triggers something else. He looked the other way. I wanted people just to learn about the fact that we're still not out of the woods with the Everglades. We still got a long right. way. Now we're wow. Now we're now we're in our face. Now we actually don't even need to be an expert. People are seeing it off the coast, and when they see a, a green algae bloom, etc. So it's 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 uh, yeah, we're we're in a tricky situation. But thank you for for bringing that up. Uh, the gator's a good example um, of the breadth of work that I, I, I work on. And, and it wasn't an example of had I not been the Burning Man, I would never have attempted to tackle it. And, again, again, I'm only one of hundreds of people that work on that project. Uh, but I was very proud that I was, I was one of the, the, the few that began it and, and started it. So, um, uh, you know, and, and that project also – Help me learn a mantra that I tell a lot of people. If you have a dream, Billy, and anybody listening, the shortest way to get off that dream is about 10 inches, 8, eight 9, 10 inches, and that's the space between your two ears, your brain. You can actually not take a step to realize that dream. All you really have to do is open your mouth and that's tell right. people. And one day I opened my mouth and I told my best friend Cindy Sipe about my dream of building this gator, and she says, well, you got to meet a friend of mine who owns a, a barge company. So, you know, had, had that not happened, you know, it, it's all, it's all a, a domino effect. But it's really interestingly simple. You open your mouth about your dream because, Billy, you and me, as much as I learn, any project coming up now, you will not know how to tackle each and every facet of that challenge or that dream. You have to work together with people. That's just that. Yes, you do. And, and no one succeeds alone. We all stand <laughs> no in the shoulders way. of others in order to succeed. No way. Yeah, absolutely. No one, no one does. No, I have no one does. legions of people <laughs> that help me out. Well, now, we're down to the last 10 minutes, and if you'd like to okay. speak to season three during this show, you may call us at 347-539-539. Five three seven two. Again, that is three four seven five three nine five three seven two. I do have a few more emails, and for those of you who've been trying to listen to the show today, our technology difficulties have prohibited us from having the more dynamic sessions that I'm used to bringing to each of my shows. But nonetheless, Caesar, because he's so amazing, he's been holding it down. So Caesar, you are the man, and you're still <laughs> generating interest. This question well, that's cool. Actually, I'm hearing you clear now, so we're good. <laughs> it's good now, but we're down to the last 10 minutes. It's been a Right, no problem. But we're going to make it work, and you've been so awesome. Nikki from Miami, Florida, asked the following, Caesar. Yes. Caesar, you recently wrote a book about Robert is here of Homestead, Florida. How did you come up with the idea? All right, that's an easy one. I love Everglades everything, and – Everglades everything means that I am not just attracted to the things that are inside the park boundaries or in a boundary. And the Everglades as a system is hard to even boundaryize. That's not even a, a word, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it's bigger than that. And even if it were a, a finite boundary, I'm still interested in how boundaries kind of get uh, hazed out and, and how, the inside affects the outside. And South Florida is a good example of that. There's so many aspects to the Everglades story. In many ways, Robert is here is just an extension of getting into the glades. And so to understand the glades, you've got to understand that farming is a very key component into the journey of where we are today. And I actually 
a lot of the times controversially, and when I published the Everglade magazine, which originally was a land sales catalog at a time during the turn of the century where everybody version of progress was to drain and farm the Everglades. So when I hear people rail hard on farmers or the sugar farms, etc., I said, wait a second, as a historian, you got to understand this. We, the people, a long time ago, all got behind the bandwagon that this is the way it needed to happen, okay? Uh, now, that doesn't mean there were very important environmentalists back then, even then, right, uh, right, that were saying right, this is right. not good, but to say that it's all their fault is just not right. Um, so in understanding uh, the role of the farmer, to, to get into uh, Robert is here was kind of easy. I mean, he's plopped right in front of the park. So you, I, every time I go to the park, that was just part of my Everglades journey, and an important one because Robert sat on a corner when he first sat in 1959 that was just recently probably opened and when I mean that, it used to be a prairie, and then it was not a prairie, and then it was a farm. And around right. him now, a lot of those farms have turned into development, and, and they're no longer Everglades nor farmland, but now they're development. We can't reverse things. But uh, farmers, I learned from Robert, um, very, are very particular about their land. They're, they're, they're really particular about caring for their land. In many cases, they're the last people. Now, that that's like incendiary in, 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 in terms of some uh, institutions now that may not take as great care of their land. But that's how I got into it. Basically, he's right outside the park, and um, and it's part of the Glade story. It, you know, And we don't have to go to Robert is here. Remember, uh, hundreds of years ago, the Everglades were right smack up against downtown Miami, right down to the coast. You used to get on a boat called the Sally, and probably in less than a football field length, the little boat would take you to an observation tower, and then you would gaze upon the glades. You didn't have to go 40 miles. So we've been, we've been plopping down on the glades and growing on them and developing them for years, and I'm very proud that I have a tour now that, that uh, Arvida Junior High and other junior highs have started to take where we, we relive what was once there so that they know that you know, downtown didn't just happen. It wasn't just built on concrete. It was built on our Everglades. Uh, the youth, that, that's a big passion of mine, t- teaching the youth. Uh, but I try not to drown them, and the tour that I've created for that group or any group that wants to go on a tour is a buffet tour of falling in love with South Florida, which is why I'm very passionate coming up as the University of South Florida Appreciation. And, uh, Billy, uh, you know what? In this day and age, I just got to tell you, you can't even think small anymore with the internet. So I was thinking to myself, well, I can keep lecturing and talking to people, but why not just build a university? Because <laughs> we can. So I'm building a university, and I made myself president. What the hell? <laughs> Caesar, I am literally speechless right now. <laughs> but I'm serious. We're actually uh, building a university. Uh, in an online presence, but also uh, sharing all the great things that are happening in South Florida. It's not just history, and it's not just, you know, uh, the Glades or, or, you know, Miami history. It's it's just about everything interesting and cool about South Florida. So uh, there's an wow. amazing friend of mine, Paul Crockett, who writes about Miami every day on Facebook. People love him. We're, so he's kind of like my, my, my dean or, or my provost. Uh, and I'm, I'm, hiring, I'm hiring professors day and night. By the way, everybody's got a role. 
we are uh, we're we're uh, yeah it, that that should be coming down the pike very soon. Well, I say well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Never would I have fathomed that you would go from walking the, the earth, fifty states wide, to now president of your own university. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, really. And I, I let I mean, all jokes aside, I'm very proud of you. That is a no, great but it, no, it's good that there's laughter because that's where we're at today. I mean, really, you know, when you when you talk about things like you know Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook that just you know initially just started to, you know, who was hot and who was not, and started to right. get to connect to the university, and now he's connecting the world. Then you realize, you know, it's just you can't think small anymore. You got to think right. big, and um, and and why not? And and, and education is changing. And I have a a philosophy that you can learn. Learning is learning. It doesn't matter where you come from. It, you know. I will say this: my university will not charge you for a degree, so there will be no Trump University ish issues. Um, if you want to join our uh, just enjoy and learning, I, I do plan on handing out a lot of uh, uh, degrees. You know, that's that's just that's what I want to do. I I just want to get people interested in in our backyard, and we need more of that youth in particular, but everybody, all ages. So um, it's coming up right now. Uh, my amazing uh, brother-in-law, Felipe, head of function, uh, he's creating a website now, and it's gonna. Mimic the Harvard website again. I'm not thinking small. I mean, it's 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 crazy, but you know why think small? Anyway, that's coming. Exactly. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> well, Caesar, I am so grateful. Our hour is done. I want to thank you so much for your time coming on the show. This is not the end of our conversations. I will have you Got back it. under better technology circumstances, and definitely not a with problem. an update on this university because I'd love to follow up more and have yeah. a more in-depth conversation from a higher ed perspective and what that entails. And if anybody wants to help out or interested in anything I've said today, because, I, again, I don't do things alone, um, just uh, email me at takethefuturecamping at gmail.com, takethefuturecamping at gmail.com, or just go to my website and connect with me on Facebook. Uh, just go to planetcaesar.com, that's C-E-S-A-R, planetcaesar.com. Thank you so much, Caesar, for being on the show. Thank you, Billy. And thank thank you, listeners, for listening to another segment of Everyday Folks Radio. BJ Speaks, an interview with Caesar Becerra. For those of you who've been trying to get through, we've been having major technical technical difficulties today. But rest assured that we're going to work on those kinks and get back to how we do things usually here at Everyday Folks. Until next week at 3 p.m. next Sunday, August 28th, There will be another exciting segment. Do tune in and also check my author page at billypauljones.com for additional lineups. Until then, take care of yourselves and thank you for your support.